our hearts are so often divided. We have divided loyalties in our hearts. We have divided affections. We, we love things that, that we really should not love, that we say not to love. Or we love good things, and we, we take those good things, and we make them ultimate things. We make them most important. We base our whole life on them. So, Lord, we're asking that, yes, even in these moments, as we come to your word now, that you would um, reorient our hearts, that you would reorder our loves, that you would unite our hearts together, that we would be about one thing, that our hearts would be undivided in our affection and devotion to Jesus. So, Father, come by your spirit now and do this work, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a copy of the scripture, I'll invite you to turn to John chapter 1, whether you are reading along on a phone or tablet or on a good old-fashioned Bible book. Feel free to turn there. We're, um, as a church family, if you've been away over Christmas, welcome back. Uh, if you are south, we're trying not to hold that against you. Um, but welcome back. We, as a church family, are working our way through the Gospel of John. Um, this uh, great Greco-Roman biography written of Jesus just um, a few years after uh, Jesus was on this earth, living, walking, living among us, dying the death, rising from the dead. Just a few years later, John, Jesus' best friend, wrote this Greco-Roman biography of Jesus. And um, to answer the question, who is Jesus? What is he all about? And what significance should he have in our lives. And so as a church family, we're going to be walking through this book um, with some breaks in between, but it'll probably take a few years for us to work our way through John. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll do some series in between that as well. Um, but we are in chapter one, we're at verse uh, 35. And, uh, and I'll read that in just one moment. If you're visiting with us today, please know that you're welcome. We, uh, every uh, Sunday morning, we'll preach from the scriptures. I'll do some teaching from the scripture, uh, we worship together, but as, as we reveal, believe God reveals himself to us in his word, we want to respond to what he says to us with worship. And so um, near the front end here, we do this, this teaching and preaching um, of what God says to us. We take a few moments to uh, do what we do call connection time, where you can grab a coffee, where you can connect with someone. And, uh, and then we gather the kids so that all generations are here in the room as we respond to what God's taught us with worship we as a multi-generational church don't want to just be a multi-generational church where we have different generations compartmentalized we want to be an intergenerational church where we, the generations actually mix and mingle where we worship together and learn with and from one another so john chapter 1 verse 35 the next day this is again uh, i'll refer back to what that day was in a few moments but the next day john was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It's about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is God's word to us this morning. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about how beholding, how seeing the Messiah changes us. How beholding the Messiah changes us. So we have, just um, um, uh, as a matter of clarification here, we have three different Johns referred to uh, in this gospel. And sometimes I remember reading John as a kid in um, the gospel of John and uh, reading verse 6 of John chapter 1. It says, "There there was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And I thought he was talking about himself. He's, he wasn't. Um, he was, or, or sometimes then I thought when, you know, in chapter 1 where John is referring to John, you, we know he's talking about John the Baptist, so I thought maybe John the Baptist was the one who wrote this gospel. So there's, there's three different Johns referred to in this passage. There's John the author, there's John the Baptist, and there's John the father of Peter. Three different Johns that we want to keep distinct in our minds. It says the And so John, the author, never actually refers to himself by his name. He was likely one of those two disciples we talked about. We know that one of them was Andrew, um, where it says that John the Baptist had two disciples. And he said to them, look, the Lamb of God. We know that the later the passage says one of them was Andrew. The other one is most likely John, the author, um, uh, the disciple of John the Baptist. So John John the author never refers to himself by his name in the gospel. Later on in the gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, that's my identity. I'm just, I'm just a disciple and Jesus loves me. That's all I know about myself. That's who I am. So John the author is talking about John the Baptist. And we saw last week how the religious leaders in Jerusalem had sent a delegation out to um, where John the Baptist had his following and he was doing some teaching and he was doing some baptizing with water. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had, had sent a delegation out to investigate because John was doing a new thing and he was, and he was becoming wildly popular. And so he was ga- garnering a lot of attention. And so the Pharisees came and they, the, the delegation basically said, who are you and what's your deal? paraphrased a little bit. Who are you and what's your deal? What are you all about? Who are you? And we saw last week that John the Baptist um, affirmed and continued to affirm, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that Israel's been waiting thousands of years for to come and and deliver the people of Israel. I'm not the one, but I am a voice. I'm a voice of one crying out, in the desert, he's quoting Isaiah 40, and he says, I'm the, I'm the voice of one crying in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord for the Lord. The Lord is coming. Yahweh, God himself, is coming. And I, my task, my purpose is just to prepare the way. And he says in verse 29 of John 1, he says, um, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said to the, to the crowd, he said, look. Again, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John says, the reason I am here, the reason I've been sent, the reason I baptize with water is so that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. So that, the, you know, the post-it note on my mirror, when I wake up in the morning, I know that my message, what I am all about, the purpose of my life, the logos of my life, the reason for my life is Jesus. That he would be revealed to Israel. That people would know Jesus. That is what I am all about. So we know John the Baptist by what he did, that he came and he was baptizing with water. We know the strange clothes he wore and the strange food he ate, but we want to engage with why he did it. And John is the witness to the Messiah. John the author makes that so clear in this, in this chapter, right? He came to bear witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That's Jesus, the logos, Jesus. He says, but, and he came so that Jesus, his purpose is to reveal Jesus. He's born to witness to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. He says in verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So John knew why he was on earth. He knew why he was living. So that people would see Jesus. So that people would behold Jesus. That's, what, that's a better translation of the word look in verse 29. And also in, uh, in verse 35, that John, where it says in the NIV, look, the Lamb of God. Better translation is behold the Lamb of God. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. So John's life statement, though, was that his purpose was to reveal Jesus. So John has his disciples. John had followers, students, that, that people came and joined themselves to John as their teacher. And called themselves his disciples. They were sitting under his teaching. They were being formed. They were being influenced by him. And, he, and two of them are near him in this private, this intimate setting. And, 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 and John says, John the Baptist says to his two of his disciples, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. And this was the last influence that John has on those two disciples. It's the last time he has any influence over them. You see, John came not to build his own kingdom, though he could have. He could have built a following. He was the big new thing. He was well known. He was seen as a prophet and as a teacher. He was a sought after teacher who had a compelling message and this unique personality, right? He, he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, none of this commercial honey, wild honey. wore camel's hair and weird sandals made by a Rastafarian down on the corner. Now, he was someone worth noticing, right? He was different than the religious teacher. He wasn't looking for his, a favored place in the synagogues. He was out in the wilderness, and whoever wanted to come and hear his teaching could come. He demanded a hearing because he was so radically different. If he was alive today in 21st century evangelicalism, he would be expected to have johnthebaptist.com. Make your gift here. Come to every conference. Speak at every conference. Write the books. You know, I was filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. Asterisk. Soon to be a make major motion picture. Right? That's, but that's not what he was like. 
He could have built his own kingdom. He could have, you know, pushed forward his own brand and his own reputation, but he didn't. He was all about, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And so the, those two disciples left John the Baptist in order to go and follow Jesus. The day before when he had said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he's speaking to a crowd. But here he's speaking to just two of his disciples, two of his close followers. And so it, it, it's not a proclamation, behold, the Lamb of God. It's, it's more intimate. It's more directional. When he's saying to Andrew and most likely John the author, he's saying, behold the Lamb of God. He's saying, you know what? You, you should go follow him. He's the Lamb of God. You should follow him. Don't follow me. Follow him. Now, Jesus said that John was the greatest. John the Baptist was the greatest of all people who had been born. And yet the high point, the crescendo for John is this statement, behold, look at Jesus. Don't look at me, look at the one I look to. Don't follow me, follow the one I follow. And this really marks the end of the significance of John the Baptist's ministry. He has now done what he was called to do, to be a witness, to testify to the Messiah to, towards Jesus. He did what he was called to do. came to bear witness about the light, and he has done that. So Jesus, here now we have the very first words recorded uh, of Jesus in John's gospel, and I actually think they're quite funny. Jesus is, is kind of like walking down the road, and he looks, you notice people following, he looks back, he says, what do you want? Right? I think that's kind of funny. I what do you want? What do you want? Why are you following me? A better translation, though, I, I like the NIV because it's funny. Funny wins for me. Um, but a better translation would be, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Not a, what do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? John, Jesus, the very, I think it's significant that the first recorded words of Jesus are a question. They're questions. Jesus often, in his interactions with people, will begin with questions. He says, he says to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He's often asking questions of people to reveal something about them, to reveal their motives, to reveal the aspirations of their heart sometimes, to reveal the motives. He's, ask, he's willing to ask questions. What do you want me to do for you? What are you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And I think as followers of Jesus, those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, I think that's, that's an important thing to learn. That Jesus didn't go around to everyone, everywhere, just pounding in truth. He loved to open the door with a really great question. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Jesus often asks the questions. In a world of terrorism, in a world of refugees, in a world of racism, in a world of emotional turmoil and cancer and burnout and relational conflict, and 
tragedy, pain, difficulty, we all face problems. That's a great question to ask. What are you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for in life? What are you looking to get out of life? think we have to walk around as followers of Jesus we don't have to be the Bible answer man we don't have to walk around with answers to everyone's questions but rather just be willing and ready to help people wrestle through questions or to ask them questions ask them good questions have to run around with answers you know peter says later on in first peter you know that be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that you have so yeah be ready to answer questions when you're asked but you don't have to run around with answers to questions people aren't asking you know when every situation's a nail and your only tool is a hammer that's that's not the point sometimes just to ask people what are you what are you seeking what are you looking for so following Jesus and, and walking with people can um, be less about driving answers into people and more about helping people ask the right questions. Maybe we lose one line to the tree. What are you seeking? Life Life's all about the truth. Jesus is the truth. And if you ask great questions, it'll come the, the answers will come to him. And you say, what are you seeking? What are you looking? I don't know. I'm, life's great. What? You know what? Just leave it alone. Life will eventually kick him in the butt. So Jesus says, what are you, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they, they say something really strange. Where are you from? Where are you staying? Like, isn't that a little strange? Jesus says, what do, you, what do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they're like, where are you staying? That's, that's strange to me. I, but but uh, what the commentators are saying, I mean, I have no idea what to do with that. Like, that's, that's just weird. No? You guys will all look, look, think I'm strange right now by thinking that it's strange. Come on. That's weird. Just say, where are you staying? Commentators are saying, all right, um, I'll leave that one alone. The commentators are saying, though, that what they what they are what the disciples are indicating by that um, question in response to Jesus' question is that they're saying we're with you. We want you to be our rabbi. We want you to be our teacher. We want to be your disciple. We're with you. We want to follow you. And so they asked the question, and they said. So they say, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. Again, I think they, I think they missed the question that Jesus was asking, right? They're, they're like, I think Jesus was asking a question on a deeper level than, you know, why are you following me right behind me? I think Jesus was getting at that deeper question. What are you seeking in life? What do you want? What are you, what are you searching for? What is your quest all about? And they're like, they're, they're engaging at the surface level and Jesus wanting to go deeper. But they miss the question like the dense disciples often do, like dense disciples like you and me often do. But Jesus is so patient with them. And he's like, well, come and see. He's, um, 
He's saying, come and you'll see, which again is at two levels, I think. I think he's saying, come on over for dinner. Just come on over and you'll see where I'm staying. Come on. He invites them into a context where their relationship can deeper, where further discussion can happen. He, he, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't put high pressure tactics. This is low pressure. This is come on over. Come see where I'm staying. Invi- he invites them into the context where they can discuss it further. Jesus is just inviting them into his presence, which was what verse 14 says, right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases, God moved into the neighborhood. Jesus is, this is incarnational, we say that, that, that Jesus is with them. He's inviting them into his life to be present with them. This is the word on the street, quite literally. This is the word on the street. Jesus is living with his people. He's accessible to them. But on the other hand, I think Jesus is saying more than just come on over and see where I'm staying. He's he's saying, come and you'll see. Because I say this, that because, you know, first of all, I think Jesus often, um, John records Jesus doing this several times in his gospel, this kind of double speak, this this saying one thing but meaning something at a very different level than what than what people are often engaging with at the time. So in John chapter three, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. We'll get there in a couple of months. And 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 Nicodemus is talking about. Um, and Jesus says, you know, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is like, how do you be born again? How do you just crawl back into your mother? Like that's. We'll have fun when we get there, I guess. But. Jesus is talking not about physical birth, but about spiritual birth. Or th- John 4, the woman at the well, and he's, he's saying uh, that, that he has living water, and if you drink this living water, you'll never thirst again. And the woman's like, yeah, I'm kind of thirsty, and I'd never want to come to this well again, so give me some of that water. John chapter 6, there's a hungry crowd, and Jesus you know, feeds the crowd, and he says, well, I am the bread of life. I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'll more than fill your stomach. I'll, I'll satisfy you at a deeper level. John chapter 9, there's a, Jesus heals a blind man, and the religious leaders in, in, in their twisted kind of way are, are telling Jesus why he shouldn't heal people. And, and Jesus says, well, he can see, but now you're blind. He can see, he can now see, but now you're blind. He's talking about sight, and he's talking about a, a different kind of sight at the same time. So Jesus, when he says, come and you'll see, He's, he's not just saying, he's talking about more than the furniture at his house. Like what kind of bed does Jesus sleep in? He's talking about more than the address of the house where he's staying. He's saying, come and you'll see. You'll have sight given to you if you'll come and spend time with me. The reason I say that is because of verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. So, Andrew comes and he sees. He, 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 he was asked, what are you seeking? And the next day he's saying, we have found. Jesus asks him, what are you seeking? The next day he goes to his brother and says, we found. The Messiah, that is the Christ, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Christ is Greek. 
Messiah is Hebrew. All right. So that Christ isn't Jesus's last name. Right. We don't have Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. And Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. It's a title for Jesus. Jesus, the Christ. And, and Andrew, the very first thing he does, something happens over at the house where Jesus is staying. As he spends time with Jesus, he comes to realize, to be convinced that Jesus is the one that he's been looking for. He's been looking for the Messiah. He's been looking forward to it. That's why he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Because John, he knew that John was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he says, we found him. I'm now convinced. And the very first thing he does is he goes and welcomes his brother to Jesus. He says, Peter, or Simon, we found him. This is him. Come and see him. And he invites his brother to Jesus. It's interesting that every time we see Andrew in John's gospel, he's either bringing someone or referring someone to Jesus. It's his character. That's what he's known for. And so based on Andrew's witness, Peter comes and encounters Jesus. But how did Andrew get there? Because of John the Baptist's witness, right? So John the Baptist witnesses to Andrew. Andrew witnesses to Peter. Peter witnesses to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. And the witness has continued this day till this day. The line of witnesses has continued unbroken until this day. And he brings Peter, or brings Simon to Jesus. And Jesus says to Simon, um, your name's Peter, by the way. Nice to meet you. Right? He didn't consult Peter about, hey, I was thinking about changing your name. Nice to meet you. He's like, no, your name is Peter. Which is interesting because Simon is a very common name. Simon was a very common name in uh, first century Israel. There's many Simons referred to. There's another Simon who's a dis- one of the 12 disciples. There's Simons mentioned in the book of Acts. It's a very common name. Peter um, is uh, not a name. It's a rock. It's a stone. And Jesus um, changes his name. No explanation is given here. The other Gospels, Matthew says, for on this rock, I will build my church. So why would, why would Jesus do this? Why is Jesus changing Simon's name to Peter, to rock, Rocky? What's, what's, what's the deal with that? So we need to know that names and the meaning of names was so important to ancient people. I mean, names mean nothing now, really, right? We, we name people because we like the sound of it. It has a nice ring to it. Um, we don't really consider the, the meaning, except my parents. My parents named me Kevin because it means handsome. It was prophetic, I think. But your parents had no clue what, no, didn't care at all what your name meant. So your, my name has nothing to do with who I am or what I'm called to, right? My name has nothing to do with who I am or what I'm called to. Generally speaking, that's, what, that's, what, that's how we work when we're naming our kids. But name changes in the Bible especially, but not so with ancient people, right? They, they were very concerned about naming their children. And they were very concerned about the meaning of the names. And it was a, it was a way of speaking a blessing into their lives. And there was their, the hopes and aspirations of the parent for the child were, were bound up in the meaning of the name. 
But when God changes people's name in Scripture, it's, um, it's tied up around a, a unique calling that he's placed on them. So Abram is change, gets his name changed by God to Abraham, which means father of nations, even though he no, yet did not have a single son when the name change happen, happened. But God is saying, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and so your name is Abraham, father of nations. Or Jacob, which meant deceiver, really, has his name changed to Israel. All right, so when in the, in, in the scriptures, when God changes someone's name, it's not so much about who they were, but who they will become. And so Jesus knew what Peter would do. Peter knew, Jesus knew that Peter would become the leader of the disciples, that, that Peter would be the one who would stand up at Pentecost when everyone's looking around, what do we do? Peter would be the one who would stand up and proclaim, this um, Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ, and repent and believe on Jesus. He's the first witness to the resurrection in a public way. And, 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 and the church is, is born literally on the witness of Peter. Its foundation is on the witness of Peter. And so Jesus is saying, you're rocky. You're the rock. You are no longer who you were. You are now who you are, when I, who I say you are. You are, you are now who you are when you encounter Jesus. And it's interesting, actually, in, in, if you look at the Gospels, whenever uh, Simon Peter um, operates in his old way, which is actually very uh, vacillating and very brash and very um, in, um, impetuous, whenever he's acting in that way, Jesus calls him Simon. Like, uh, you're acting like Sandy again. You're not the Rocky right now. You're Rocky, not Sandy. And when, he, when, he, when, he, when Jesus has something to affirm him, he'll call him Peter, the rock. And so he's, he's, he, Jesus uses the name as a way of saying, this is who I'm calling you to be. Don't act this way anymore, Simon. Don't deny me three times. Be the one who witnesses boldly in my name. So John the author starts this text with quoting John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. He said, I, I prefer the word behold instead of look. Although beholding is a looking word, it's a seeing word. It's, it's, a, it's someone saying to another person, direct your attention over here. Look at that. But it's not like, it's not like, hey, look at my pizza. It's really good. Ham and pineapple. Like, it's not that kind of a thing. It's beholding is something that happens when you're when you're climbing a mountain and you get out of the out of the, the woods and you and you have a vista and you're like, behold, look at what we can see now. A behold is is what you say when someone hands you a newborn baby. Look at my son, look at my child. Beholding is where you're climbing a volcano and you want to look into the into, the, into the, the crater and you see the lava, the molten earth from the core of the earth or whatever it is. Like, it's this amazing view. That's what behold, that's what we, when you use the word behold, look at that. It's amazing. It's full of wonder and amazement. It's full of awe. 
That's what Jesus, that's what John is trying to get us across to get across to us. Look at how amazing Jesus is. Behold Jesus. Behold a woman, a virgin will be with child. Isaiah says. Look at that amazing picture. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look, I, I'm standing at the door of your heart and knocking. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. I will be friends with him. Jesus says right at the very end of the book of Revelation, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Friends, you can only behold, you can only say behold if you have beheld. You can only say look at that if you've looked at it first. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. John the disciple, John the author knew who Jesus was. Andrew beholds and realizes who Jesus is. So he brings Peter and says, look at me. And Peter at Pentecost is saying, look at Jesus. He's, he's the reconciler. He's the redeemer. He's the sin remover. He's the shame taker. He's the fixer of the broken. He's the friend of sinners. He's the king of glory. And so, friends, you can't evade the question, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And my hope for you is that you'll come and see. That as you come to him, he'll give you a vision of who he is. And that he'll give you a new name. He'll call you to become what he's made you to be. So let's pray. Father in heaven, would you do that now? As we connect with one another, may we point each other to Jesus. Say, look at how amazing Jesus is. As we worship you in song, would we have a vision of the incredible mystery that is Jesus, the incredible wonder that is Jesus, that we would behold your glory, that we would see your glory, and that we be changed by you. So, Father, come and do this work now, we ask in the name of Jesus.